right, brother. What did you miss last week? I want to know. Here. I want to know why you didn't come see me, brother. No phone call. What is that? You know, I need to be on your top five, brother. What does it take for me to be on your top five? <laughs> you are horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I know. I talked to your daughter. She told me all about it. Catholic? <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. That's all right. I understand. You know, you got to go back to your old way sometime. That's all right. Dog, you know, like the Bible says, a dog returns to its own vomit. You know what I'm saying? Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? At the other church? Oh, was it? Where's it at? Oh, wow. 25th and Pulaski, that is... Well, this is the 50s, right? So, that means this is closer down there by where the old um, venture used to be on Pulaski. Where the target is. Not. Oh, it's in Little Village, so it's across the highway. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Okay. All right, brother. Well, that's all right. I know you don't love me anymore, but that's okay. I'm still your brother, you know. I'm still your brother. Don't worry. I'll forgive you, even though, you know. All right. Well, I hope you can understand this today. We're going to go over first. We're going to do over Second John. And we went over last week about second. Can you get it? Can you see it downstairs, honey? No. It might be you just need to turn on the stuff. Okay. Oh, no. Stink. Got to turn on my internet now to get this to work. Um, we talked about, we finished, I believe we finished up, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we finished up 1 John last week. Um, this week we're going to try to go over some of the uh, content of 2 John and 3 John. 1 John is such a small book. Not really much to it. Um, of course, who do you think wrote First John? Anybody know? Peter. Exactly right, brother. See, that's why we got we got to get some more meat in here because everybody's so smart in here. You know, I got no problems with that. Amen. Amen, brother. Um, of course, First John was written by John. Now, let me ask you this question. Uh, 
if first if you're so smart to figure out who wrote first John, let's see how smart you are to tell me when was first John written. close about 15 years close uh, 90 so here's here's how you can figure it okay so you have okay. <laughs> all right so here's how you figure okay you got first John second John third John Jude and Revelation Okay, the same person who wrote John also wrote the book of Revelation. So John, same guy. So you think about Revelation as the last book in the Bible, right? And John wrote the last book, so this would be also one of the last books to be written. Okay, so we talked about, actually, we talked about, we went through 1 John um, some of the things I just want to mention, uh, we talked about the, the theme of 1 John, which is fellowship, not just fellowship with your fellow believer, but it also has to do with fellowship with Christ. Hi, Naomi. Um, and that's the main purpose. And we gave some ideas concerning a walk with God. And I talked about uh, how walking shows progression, shows communion. Did you get that? Shows protection. And shows patience. Hi, Stephanie. Good to have you this morning. And then we talked about walking in love. Amen. And we finished up last week talking about walking in love. And there's two things that I talked about. Or actually, there was about seven things we talked about. Miss Patty, good morning. Brother Juan coming with you this morning? Or is he not feeling good? He's on his way? Maybe. Okay. Good. Uh, I talked about the idea of love, and we gave some examples of love. Now, I told uh, the definition. Stephanie, do you remember the definition of love compared to lust? No? Yes, yes, exactly. Love, here's a real simple definition. Love is to give. Lust is to give. Love is to give. Lust is to get. Do you understand get? To obtain. All right. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He came. What was he profiting when he died on the cross? Well... He was, he was doing his father's will, but really there was no profit that he was getting from us. Really, he was just giving because he loved us first. As Romans 5.8 says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're talking about this idea of love. And I gave some examples of love. Uh, um, there's this idea that if you love God then he will love you. That's completely false. Because here's why. God loves you no matter what. If he were going to love you because you did something special for him, then 
then what would be what would it be? It would be lost, wouldn't it? Because he would be getting something in return. He and his love. Brother Lewis, you understand where I'm going here? God's love is not dependent upon your love. Okay? You cannot, I know this is a little deep here, but I want you to understand that. You cannot on your own self be able to love God. You need Jesus Christ to love God. And that's where, if you love me, keep my commandments. People try to say, well, I'm going to keep God's commandments on my own. No. That's why Jesus Christ had to come to die. You cannot keep God's commandments on your own. You need something extra to be added into that, and that is Jesus Christ. I gave the illustration last week. Um, when you make something, <clears throat> if you miss an ingredient... Uh, you take butter, you take uh, chocolate chips, you take sugar, and you take baking soda and eggs, and you throw them in a pot, you'll come up with cookie dough. But if you take one of those ingredients out, and let's just take the idea of sugar, or my wife made something the other day that, oh, it was something that she forgot the bacon, so she put baking powder instead of baking soda, and it turned out horrible. And she realized what she had done, and she told me about it. I'm like, oh, okay. But the idea there is you take one of those ingredients out, you don't get the finished product. The same sense in your Christian life, when you take Jesus Christ out of the equation, you cannot get the finished product. And really, the finished product is what? A walk with God. Okay. So keep that in mind. All right, so we're going to move on to 2 John. So let me... So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 John. I have to find it first. There we go. And I still don't have this thing set up yet. I apologize. There we go. Morning, Brother Oscar. How are you doing this morning? All right, I'm. We're getting just to get my notes pulled up here. It's supposed to be. Sometimes it takes a little bit to connect. There we go. Um, there we go. All right, so Second John is very short book. All right, I finished my devotion. I, I use I used uh, sometimes my Sunday school lesson as a, a way to study. I use it for my devotions, and we talked about First John, and there was about a page of notes. Second John is about that big. Okay, uh, it's not very big. We could probably read it all in one setting. But of course, Brother Os or Brother uh, Mo uh, Mohan, Brother Lewis, who wrote Second John? <laughs> I 
Yes, everybody knows John wrote Second John, okay? And here we go. Uh, he said Peter, first of all. I said, no, brother, sorry. That's because you're, you're too much in the Catholic Church, brother. You've got to come back to the Baptist. Okay. All right, here we go. Ready? First John was written 90 AD. When do you think Second John was written? Give you a wild guess. First John? Second John. So definitely it was after when? It had to be after First John. So if First John written 90 AD, there's a good possibility it was written anywhere from 90 AD to 92 AD. Okay, we're not exact on that, but the theologians and the historians tell us that's when it was written. The theme for Second John is truth, is truth. If you don't have truth, what do you have? You have nothing, but you have a lie, don't you? And that's what we try to uh, talk about is the truth. The purpose of the book of Second John is to warn against false teachers, false teachers. And the interesting thing, it was written to an individual in the church. Her name was, anybody want to take a guess? I didn't know this. And what was her name? What do you think? It doesn't really say, but we can... Her name was Martha. Okay? Martha. And she and it was written either to, to her or to the church. Okay? So there was a couple possibilities. Because they considered the church what? You know, that's something I want to know about. In Spanish, how do you, how do you say the male form of church? It'd be Inglesio, wouldn't it? Right. It's always feminine. And that's what it's considered in the Bible, which is very interesting. Very interesting point. They got it right there, didn't they? You'd think, you know, the church has always got the male leadership, the male, but it considered it a lady. Isn't that interesting? Exactly. Bravo, Brother Oscar. Bravo. He got it right. Because the church is considered the what? The bride of Christ. Mm, man, this is some deep stuff here. I don't know if you guys are hanging on, but I am. All right, here we go. So the content, we're going to talk about practice in the church. So let, tr to the truth, let's turn to Second uh, John. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. It's a very short book. And what do we find here? It says, the elder unto the elect church, elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you and mercy, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the fathers. So I would consider these first seven verses, they would consider the salutation or the greeting. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is the love that we walk after his commandment. This is the, the, this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. So he's saying, hey, there's nothing new here. But he's saying, hey, walk in love. Walk in love towards each other. Walk in love towards Christ. 
first of all, walk in love towards Christ, because if you don't have uh, love towards Christ, you're not going to have love for each other. Okay? Am I going too fast, Oscar? Am I keep, are you keeping up? Okay? So here we find in, 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 in 2 John, he talks about the importance of walking in love. Now, we're going to talk about verses 7 through 11. And this is really the meat and bones of the book. It says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist, okay? So we find here that those that I, there was a preacher down the road that used to preach this that Jesus Christ was always God and never man. Is that true? No. At the same time, Jesus Christ was God when he was on this earth, he was also what? Man, and this verse claims it. He says, there's for many deceivers are entered into the world. All right? They don't want to believe that Jesus Christ was also man. Meaning what? Meaning he never suffered like you and me. He never was on the same page as you and me. He never experienced the ability to sin like you and me. That's what they want to get away from. Secondly, in verse 8... It's against, so first of all, it's against deceivers. We're protecting the truth against what? The people that want to deny the truth. The people that want to deceive the truth. They, there are some people that come in that try to do their dead level best to, to twist and to turn the truth into some uh, difference of what God wanted. And as we as Christians, we have an importance to understand that if we take the truth and we see the truth and we make it a part of our lives, what's going to happen? We're going to be able to say, hey, that's not the truth. You can live. Miss Sophie, good to see you folks. Man, it's exciting. All right. Brother Eddie, too, man. Holy cow, who's those strangers over there? Good to see you folks. So the Bible says what? We are not to what? We are to protect ourselves from deceivers. Danny, have you talked to Pastor Teasdale yet this morning? I need you to, okay? So go downstairs and talk to him before you come in my class. Yep, right now. We as a, as a Christian have an importance to say, hey, this is what God has said in his word. We cannot be deceived by it. There are some people that will come in and they might carry a King James Bible. They might come in and say, hey, this is the Bible. There are some people that might even come in and they might even have, they're dressed in a very fine suit. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with a nice fine suit. But there's some things as a Christian that we have to say, what does the word of God say? We have to protect the truth against deceivers. Sometimes a church has someone come in, an evangelist or someone that is outside in the world. And I've had this happen many times in the time that I was in church, in other churches. I've seen people come in that, that came and preached in the pulpit and what happened? Sometimes you get the wrong type of doctrine. Now, granted, a lot of them were just a little bit of differentiation. But you know what? When we talk about repentance, it's important. Why? Because the Bible is chock full. We got verse after verse after verse that talks about the importance of repentance. There's people that are going to come in. They're going to say, you don't need repentance to be saved. There's going to be people that are going to come in. The Church of Christ says, oh, yeah, you can be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. Yes, you can be saved by doing these things if you get baptized. Is that what the Bible tells us? 
No. We have to protect ourselves and the truth against deceivers. Secondly, not only do we need to protect the truth against deceivers, but we have to protect the truth against destroyers. Turn to 2 John verse one, or chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Look to yourselves that ye lose not those things that we have wrought, but that ye, we receive the full reward. What happens? There is a tendency in churches today that we have that sometimes... We do things out of the wrong reasons, right? What do we do? We have a reason. We can say, well, hey, hey, you know, hey, I'm doing this because I want people to look at me. The independent fundamental movement has a lot of people that what? Are proud. There's a lot of people in the independent fundamental movement that are doing things for the sake of a preacher. What should be the reason you're doing? Christ. Christ. If we're not doing things for Christ, what are we really doing it for? Again, I go back to that definition that I gave earlier about love and lust. If you're doing things to get something out of it, what are you really getting? Are you really loving people? Are you really loving Christ? No. You're what? You have a, a heart full of lust and pride. And will God bless that? No, he won't. God wants us to have our full dependence on him. And we have to protect ourselves against what? Losing what? The reward. They're going to destroy. There's going to be people in there. They're going to say, hey, you know, you can do this because I want you to do it. It's great that pastor, we have a, good, a great pastor's church. It's great that we have some great members in this church. But there should not be one person in here that is doing things outside the realms of love for Christ. If we're doing things, what we're going to do is we're going to get to heaven and Christ is going to come down and say, well, what you do in your life? Is it full of wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it full of precious stones, gold, and silver? And it's going to be what? Destroyed by fire if it's of, of this world. If it's of lust. If it's of pride. If it's of these things that God doesn't want us to have. Not only should we protect the truth against deceivers, destroyers, but also against departers. Second, or Second John, first, uh, uh, first chapter, verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not unto your house... Neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have, uh, what? what is, what's going on? They're departing from the faith. There's a lot of people out there that are saying, oh, it's not, this is not that bad. This is not that bad. I can do this. I can be a part of the world. I worked last night. Um, for UberX and uh, downtown, I have never seen, ever seen downtown like this in my life. And a uh, bunch of partiers, revelers, drunken people. And I start thinking about this. I'm thinking, I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, I see these kids out there partying. And I'm trying to wonder what Christians would, 
it's okay. Well, Christians would. I see these young kids get in my car. Their their mouth is vile. They stink from the smell of alcohol. And I say, what Christian would say, this is okay, this is of God. But yet today, there's very Christians in Baptist churches that are saying, it's okay to have a social drink every once in a while. It's okay to have a little bit of a drink. I don't think so. The Bible says that we shouldn't even look upon it. Right? It says wine is what? A mocker. Strong drink is what? Raging. We have a re- importance, what? To be ca- careful that we're not what? A, we're not, not abiding in the doctrine of Christ. There is too many times as Christians that we get caught up in this idea, well, what works? You know, it's a different time. It's a different place. We can allow these things to happen. No. Whosoever abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, what does it say? Hath what? Not God. Abiding in the doctrine of Christ, Brother Ralphie, good to see you, brother. Abiding in the doctrine of Christ is what? It's this idea that you're taking time in God's word every morning and really what? Dwelling on it. Spending time in it. When we don't do that, what are we really saying? Are you unsaved, Brother Oscar, if you don't have your religion anymore? I don't think so. If, if, you, if that was the case, then we'd all be unsaved, right? We've missed our devotion once, twice, maybe a whole week, who knows? But our, the importance here is what? Is to get back abiding in Christ. There's times we backslide. But the importance is that Christ is the center of your life. You can't lose your salvation. I was talking to someone the other day. My wife in here? Uh, she has a, she has a, I guess it would be a step cousin or whatever you call it. But uh, she was telling me that she had a problem with this idea of keeping your salvation. I think the Bible's very clear about eternal security. I talked to a young man also uh, not, not too long ago that told me, oh, Matthew 24 talks about the fact that I can lose my salvation. Man, if you can say that, you might as well just throw this Bible away. Okay? Because really the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of your what? Selves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I go back to 1 John where it talks about the importance of love and the fact that you cannot love God enough to get into heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ that you can love God. The Bible says in Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags. You can go on and on and on. This Bible is very clear about salvation and the importance of salvation that you can keep it. But the problem becomes when we start looking to ourselves and saying, well, what am I doing? What am I doing to get to heaven? Am I good enough? Listen to me. You're not good enough to get to heaven. And God's word is very clear about it. But abiding in the doctrine of Christ. The Bible says, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, 
He hath both the Father and the Son. Has there been people that have lost their way as a Christian? What do you think? I think so. I think there have been plenty of people that have lost their way as a Christian. They get, uh, the Bible, uh, Paul talks about it. He says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas, I guarantee, was pro- is, is a saved individual. But what happened was he started looking around him. He started falling in love with the world around him. Not looking to what Jesus Christ had in store for him. And so what happened? He come distracted. And because of that, what happened? He didn't defend himself against departers. People came in. Departers. It's kind of a... It's not really a good word, but it, it fit very... Uh, alliteration fit real well. But this idea that people that depart from the faith. And we as Christians have that understanding that, hey, when I don't wake up in the morning and I don't have my devotions and I don't spend time with God, there's a good possibility that I could what? Depart from the faith. And that's where we as Christians got to say, okay, no. There is unflexible time for us to be able not, or there's no flexibility in our time with God. It should be every morning, day in, day out, spend time with God. I've struggled with my devotions. I, since, I, I mean, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad, I remember my dad, he'd have us up. Uh, my dad had to go to, he, was at, he went to Bible college, and he had to be there by 7 o'clock for a missions class. And I was probably at the age 11, 12, somewhere around there. I remember when he used to have to do that, he'd get us boys up at 4.45 in the morning. I remember, I even had some kids that I used to, that came over to our house one summer. And my dad, even the time when he didn't have to be that early, he'd still have us up at 4.45. And you think, you guys say, Pastor, is long-winded. You should have seen my dad in devotion times in the morning. That's why he had to get us up at 4.45 in the morning, okay? But he would get up, and we would what? He'd have our devotions out there, and we'd, put it, we'd start doing one of these numbers. How many senior kids do this? Or maybe you've done this. You know, so what dad do? He'd get out there and he'd put, he says, all right, go stand over there. You, you stand over there. Put your Bible. We'd be standing our dress. He's got a picture of it somewhere. We're just standing there reading our Bible, standing up. Even then I tried to fall asleep. Then after that, dad says, okay, you guys want to fall asleep in your devotions? We're going to get the blood pumping. He'd make us run down to this little gas station down the road and back. It was probably about 10 blocks. That kind of worked a little bit. Do sit-ups and push-ups. He'd get us up. Why? Because he saw the seriousness of what? Your devotions. Listen to me, folks. I know some of us get up early. Some of you guys, I, I feel sorry for you. I haven't worked nights in years, but I know how it is. It's not fun. I know you, you, you get five hours of sleep maybe during the day because you can't really sleep well. And then you have to have devotions. It seems like, you know, you really want to get some good sleep. Just read your Bible. Right? Because you're going to be doing one of those nods, right? But you know, I really believe that if we took the time, and I think pastor's on the right track, it's been helpful to me to be accountable to someone. It's been helpful to me to be able to say, yeah, I had my devotions this week. I was able to have it seven days this week. At first I was kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm... You like that, Oscar? Can you translate that for me? Um, I'm sorry. 
But the idea there is what? We're trying to get our church to the point where, hey, God, the only way that God's going to bless this church is when He's involved in it. He's involved in it. Abiding in the doctrine of Christ. In verse 10, if they're coming in to you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his, of his evil deeds. Let me tell you something. There's going to be a lot of people that will try to charm you. There will be people that will try to get you to this point of saying, oh, this guy's just a really nice guy. But listen to me. It's not the personality of the person that you need to be looking at. It's the walk that he has. It's the person that, that, that really is, is living by faith. It's a person that has humility and meekness and the sweetness of Christ's spirit. I sometimes wonder, <clears throat> as a Christian, you know, when we deal with these things in our church, when we're trying to have our devotions, when we're trying to be uh, having the unity of Christ, when we are, as pastors have been preaching on for the past, uh, I don't know, five, six weeks, abiding in the doctrine of Christ, how much Satan hates that. He wants no part of that whatsoever. And you know what he'll try to do? He'll try to bring someone in your life that's going to get you to depart from the faith. We cannot, as Christians, do that. i got about five minutes, and I really don't want to open this up, but we're going to talk about 3 John. So turn your Bibles to 3 John. told you 2 John. If you blinked, you'd miss it. But we're going to talk about 3 John now. And we're going to talk about the introduction here. The theme for 1 John was truth. What was the theme for... I'm sorry. The theme for 1 John was what? I hope you know this, honey. You typed out my notes. What, what was that? Fellowship. Good job. The theme for 2 John is what? Truth. Truth. The theme for 3 John? 3 John, not 2 John. The theme for 3 John? Starts with an H. I'll give you a hint. I work with this industry. Yes. Good job. Thank you, Miss Sophie. Hospitality. Hospitality. All right, brother. You've missed two times. Let's try a third time. Who wrote John? Third John. John? Woo! We got it. Brother, brother Lewis was teasing me this morning. He told me Peter wrote first John. I had to correct him. Sorry, that's not going to work. All right. So John... Now, we know the dates for 1 John was 90 A.D. The 2 John was 90 to 92 A.D. All right? They believe, I say they, the royal they, or the royal, not royal we, because I don't really know that that well. But they say that 3 John was written in 95 A.D. Okay? So keep in mind, when you're thinking about the dates of the Bibles, or when the books were written, keep in mind the destruction of the temple was when? What? 70 A.D.? So everything after 70 A.D. So you think about that's a pretty much a long time. So second, first John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation were all written by who? John. So keep that in mind. Revelation is going to be in the, further, the end, end of the, uh, the books, uh, writing of the books. Most of the books were written before 70 A.D., 2 John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Revelation were all written after the destruction of the temple. Now we'll talk about content. 
contents. And it seems like there was types of church members in 3 John. In 3 John. I read an article this week. It was called... <laughs> it was an interesting article. Uh, it was talked about the... Uh, how to know if your pastor is building a kingdom. And I read it. And uh, one of the things it was talking about was this idea of lording over the church. And uh, it's interesting to know that most... I have to say that there are some pastors out there that do have this idea that they are the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, I would hope that our church is not like that. I would hope. I think you guys all know Pastor. Uh, He seems to be one of those people that is very easygoing, content. And if you have a big decision, what does he do? Pray about it. Right? He says, this is what I think, but pray about it. Let God deal with you. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. There are some things that are obviously that, Pastor, if you went to and said, Pastor, I really believe that I should drink. I guarantee a pastor might say, that's not what the Bible says, my friend. But he's not going to lord over you. He's going to say, hey, this is what God wants. All right? This is something that you need to take and, and pray about. Especially when it's something that's not as, as clear. It's something that has to deal with moving or as, as Brother Ralphie's looking for a new job. Right? Amen, brother? Did you find something yet? No? Still working on it? All right. So here we find in, in, in the first part, in, in 3 John, we're going to talk about Gaius. Gaius. And verse 1 through 8, it says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, and even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou dost, uh, doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. That's an interesting word. Fellow helpers. All right? So what is his... uh, He calls uh, Gaius, he's what? He's the exhorter. The exhorter. So we're talking about different types of church members in the church. There's the exhorter. There is a pretty common book out there called uh, The Love Languages, okay? I'm not, I'm not being a proponent or a, a proponent to that. I'm just saying it's, it's, inter- it's got an interesting, uh, some interesting things that are said about it. And I've read some of the parts of it. I've heard the author himself talk about it. But it's got some things talking about the five different love, love languages. I don't know what they all are, but I know one of them has to deal with uh, this idea of exhorting or uh, words of affirmation, okay? And as I, I think about that, our goal as Christians, it shouldn't be that we're fake about it, okay? How are you doing, brother? My sister. Oh, she's not fake, but she does sound fake sometimes. And she, uh, she knows I say this to her all the time. She'll be so sweet and sappy. And I'll say, honey, I said, sis, really? You sound like a fake. Stop that. She's, she'll laugh. She knows I'm, I'm messing with her. But she'll, oh, how you? Miss Yolanda's smiling back there because she, she sees it. Oh, she's just sweet. 
Oh, too sweet. Okay. But, she, you know, she's very, very sweet. She's an exhorter. She's, she'll say nice things unless it's her brother teasing her. Then it's all out war. Okay. But you know what? The, what do we find here? Gaius was an exhorter. He was faithful to the truth. Listen to me. It's not just your speech that encourages people or exhorts people. It's your actions as well. When you live by faith and you're doing what God is doing or expected of you, other people see that. I'm encouraged by people in our church. When I see people in our church taking steps of faith, I think, man, look at that. What an encouragement to me as a Christian. I need to be the same way. Remember Ralph, he first got saved. We were at Pizza Hut together. And uh, I delivered for, sh- for about five years for pizza. And then the last, about, was it about a year, Brother R? Ralphie? I delivered, he was my GM, and I delivered pizzas for him. But he first got saved, and he was in his Bible. Remember that, brother? You'd have that Bible at work. Man, you were a huge encouragement to me. And uh, he said, this is what I got from God's word today. And we get to talk about it. I'll tell you what, it just, it just uh, even talk about it now, it gets chills up and down my spine. I'm just excited about it, you know. I see another brother or sister in Christ get excited about the things. When I come on a Wednesday nights, and, you know, I, I sometimes I think, man, where's everybody at? And then I, one day I walk in and everybody's here. Man, I want to jump up and down for joy. I mean, my heart's going, poo, 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 right? I'm excited because I see everybody's excited. It is an encouragement. Gaius, what was he? He was faithful to the truth. It says here, beloved, I wish above all things um, that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as a soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. What is John saying? He says, look, Gaius, you, you've, you really have done something special here. What? He's walked in truth. It's nice to see when you see a new convert that really grabs a hold upon the things of God and starts to grow. Right? They take those simple things that we, we understand and they say, this is what God's told me to do. They take some big strides. I wasn't around when my father got saved, but I know for a fact that he took the alcohol and poured it down the drain. I know for a fact that when my dad got saved, he quit hanging around those guys that were not... Uh, that were unsavory characters to the things of Christ. I know when my dad got saved, one of the things he did was he stopped keeping alcohol in the fridge, even if he didn't drink it. I remember uh, hearing stories of what my dad did, the fact that he would take his Bible to work, and he would what? Read it there in the lunchroom. Why? Because God had changed him. He was walking in the truth. Secondly, not only was Gaius uh, faithful to the truth, but he was also spiritual. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers. He has a what? A testimony of someone that was spiritual. It says here, not only did he love the brethren, but also to what? Strangers did he love. (laughs) Talking to... Uh, I don't know if any of you have used the ride-sharing program that they have out there now in Chicago. There's two differences. You have the UberX and then you have Lyft. And the differences are not much, but there is one thing that's different. And one of those things is when when you work for Lyft, when the customer gets in the car, you're supposed to fist bump them. And I tell customers, I says, you know, 
I, I work for UberX, and I actually got a chance to work for Lyft, and I decided not to, and for this very reason. Because I felt, you know, this guy, I'm a complete stranger to them. If I'm going to fist bump someone, it's going to be someone I probably know. I'm not just going to go, hey, boy, yeah, oh, you know, do the fist bump right there. It's just like, hello, awkwardness, you know. I don't think everybody and their mother wants to fist bump me. Uh, I don't know if they're just trying to be hip or whatever. But listen to me. It says here that Gaius was not only loving the what? Christians, the brethren, but he was also loving strangers. What does that mean? It means that he had a heart that Jesus Christ gave him. He says, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. It doesn't matter who it is. I'm going to witness to that person. I'm going to love that person. It's very easy to become very discontented with the people around us. Why? Man, they're alcoholics. They have filthy language. I'm out of time. But really, if we have the same heart of Christ... We're going to say, those people need to be saved. I was working last night at St. Patty's Day Parade was in the morning and then the night. Everybody goes out and parties. And uh, I, I was just seeing these people. And this morning, this thought came to my mind. And I thought, man, those people need to be reached for Christ just like everyone else. This whole generation here. all those, And it was just a flood. It was a sea of people coming through those doors. And I watched those people last night, and it was eye-opening to me. And I thought, every one of those people are dying and going to hell. And what, is doing to, what are we doing to stop it? These young people, they don't know what Christ wants for them. I thank God that um, I had the privilege to grow up in a Christian home. These young people, they have no clue. What should we be? We should be like Gaius. We should be the person that's spiritual, not only loving the brethren, but loving all right, well, let's close in a word of prayer and get ready for the morning service. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for your word and, Lord, how it does show us the importance of, Lord, walking in the truth, walking in love, uh, staying away from the deceiver, the departer from the truth. I pray.